0: God can be worshipped in many forms. I myself love the mother. As my guru used to say, mother is closer than the father. Mother, no matter what you do, will there be there to forgive you? Mother, no matter how good or how bad, you can pray to her, not your good, I am your child. And so in that spirit, I would like to read from Conversations with Yogananda, this book of things that I recorded many, many years ago. You know, some of the sayings are amusing, some are very serious, some are profound, some are light. This is sort of halfway between. This is saying number 14. The master wouldn't as a rule perform weddings if he saw that a couple were not suited to one another, though circumstances forced him sometimes to relent in this respect. A couple once came to me, he told us, and asked me to marry them. I could see at once that they were unsuited to each other, so I refused their request. Let us go, Diyar, the man said angrily. I remember with delight the master's Bengali inflection as he imitated that word, wrathfully delivered, Diyar. They'd reached the door when I added, Please allow me to give you this one piece of advice. Just don't kill each other. Let's get out,
1: dear,
0: the man repeated furiously. He thought I was deliberately insulting them. Well, two months later they returned. Thank God you sent us away with that warning, they they, they cried. If it hadn't been for that, we might well have ended up killing each other. They hadn't realized what a cauldron of rage boiled within them. Marriage removed the lid from that pot. The steam, once let out, scalded them. How often people make the mistake. Well, thank God it's not so much here in India because marriages are arranged more for the children than in the West. But (coughs) as my, my guru often said, marriage in the West is often like a wedding between a nice shade of lipstick and a bow tie. It's all superficial. It's outward. And you know, marriage is not a solution. It's an assumption of a responsibility. Yes, it may be a means to help one to grow. There's nothing wrong with it, obviously. We wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for that. But on the other hand, there is a need to understand that our fulfillment is not going to come from anything outward or from anyone else. We have to learn to live in ourselves, but then... The wonderful thing is that when we do, we find that we can live in harmony with everybody. Isn't it? You know, marriage should be a doorway to learning to love all. This is the ideal to see God in all, to see God in each other. Many people, many um, men have told me here in India, or used to tell me when I lived here years ago, they wish their wives were more like Sita. I say, then, why don't you be more like Rama? We should try to be instruments of God and to see God as, uh, through others, see others as instruments of God also, if we can meet together in a divine way. This kind of mutual respect and dignity is what marriage ought to teach us, but unfortunately, you find that with false intimacy, that sense of respect, that sense of distance, grows a little bit frayed. We need to learn to see one another in a divine way. Now this is what I saw about my guru. You know the saying, no man is great in the eyes of his own valet. Well, the closest disciples of our guru were those who held him in the greatest respect and awe because he always had that sort of, sort of an aura of remoteness. He could be so jolly and so friendly, he could also be very distant. But whether jolly or distant, whether friendly or impersonal, there was always this sort of aura of distance around him that you felt that you couldn't really touch him. Something inside was far away. The distant closeness, as he himself put it in Autobiography of a Yogi, the distant closeness of omnipresence. If, however, we can learn to live in that kind of harmony, you know, I have had the opportunity, and it's been a gift to me of God, to be able to start communities. And I have started about seven communities, six in America, one in Italy, I'd like to start communities here in India. But what I've seen in these communities is that there is harmony. A thousand people all together in these different communities and they're always in harmony. I don't say always, that's exaggerating. But, you know, for example, our <coughs> our uh, um, meetings, when I pick up the newspapers here in New Delhi, And I read about the half the parliament storming out in protest against the other half, and the next day the other half storms out in protest against the first half, and there's always fighting and sometimes even coming to blows. And I think, my goodness, here we have a group of people living together at close quarters, and yet there's always harmony. I cannot remember in the 35 years of our existence, I cannot remember a time when a meeting didn't end in harmony. That didn't mean that I was there imposing my will on anybody, no. I give people a right to express their will. But we respect each other, that's the secret of it. We allow people to be what they are. If we don't agree, okay, let it be. Let's agree to differ. But you've seen, we have seen, and from experience. I'm not just giving you some beautiful airy theory but from experience, we have seen this: that people think, first of all, if they think first, I want to do God's will, and why do they come to a spiritual community if not for God's will? So immediately, they're not thinking, "What do I want?" But what does God want? The second thought is, "What's good for everybody, not just what's good for me?" And when they can live to think that and think that way, then they discover that. Uh, Everything is harmonious. I can give a little bit here, they can give a little bit there. How many times? Because I'm the founder and I've retired now, but I'm the leader still, in a sense. That is to say, people give me that kind of respect. I don't claim it. But uh, the nice thing about having retired is I don't have to worry about all the little details. Nonetheless, what I've seen is that many times I'll come up with some big idea that I think will be just great. But other people will have another idea. And if I can accommodate that idea, I give up mine. Because I feel that the only way to build a community is to build leaders. And the only way to build leaders is not impose my will on them, but let them come up with their ideas. And certainly it happens sometimes. After all, I have more experience and some intuition. And sometimes I will see, well, that won't work. But... If I say it won't work, that gets discouraging, so usually, if I know it won't create too much of a disaster, I'll say, well, okay, let's try it. Many times I find that their ideas are good, better than mine, fine, wonderful. I'm not interested in being right, I'm just interested in the best thing happening. And so again, another reason for our harmony is that nobody wants this and wants to impose his will. On other people, we just want to do what's right, and there's in this relative world, you can't ever say that this is right and that's wrong. No, not usually. Let's say often, they're grays. Some things a little bit more right, some things a little bit less right. But uh, you take the best that comes along. One of the important things, and I've seen this in people who have started communities, because you know, back in the '60s when I started Ananda Village. There were thousands of other people trying to start communities. Just about all of them have failed. One reason they failed was because they've, there's been this dream of humanity of creating perfection outwardly. Well, you'll never do that. This world is not meant to be perfect. It's a school. You don't go to school to make a perfect school. You go to school to get children who are trained. And so the grades remain the same. The children go on from one grade to the next. The important thing is that you make it as good as you can. Like this garden of mine back here, I made it beautiful, and uh, it's a lovely sight. Many people seeing this outward beauty say, oh, this is what your teachings are about. Beauty, truth, harmony. Yes, they are. So it's a good object lesson, but it will never be perfect. And I think that's why it is so as good as it is, because we aren't trying... For perfection. As soon as you get an ideal of perfection you've got a brittle concept and when people don't live up to that concept then they get all angry and you scold them and discipline them and so on, let people be as they are. You know we have a strict rule in our community against drinking alcohol. It's quite, we're definite about it. Same thing with drugs, we don't allow drugs. But you've got to accept people. Finally, One of our principles is people are more important than things. One night, one of the members came down to my house. He was absolutely drunk. You know, I guess he was just, he wasn't really naturally a drinker. He was sort of going through what people do, a little sense of rebellion. And uh, he wanted to affirm his own will and so on. I didn't say a single word. I remember after he left me, he was, trying to find his way out the path and I heard him about 10 or 15 minutes later crashing around in the bushes. I had to come out and show him where the path was but I never said anything about it. I knew he wouldn't do it again. You have to be lenient. It's sort of like fishing. A fish, if it resists your, your line, you let it go for a while and you pull it back. Mind you, I've not fished. I remember when I was six on Lake Snagov in Romania Caught a little fish like this, and I saw the little thing wiggling, and I thought, oh, that poor fish. So I've never fished again. But anyway, they tell me this is how you fish for trout, and so on. Let it go for a while, and come back, reel it in, and let it go. Same thing with people. If you want to help them, let them be themselves. Don't be too rigid. Don't be too firm. It takes many hands to create a miracle. It takes many hands working together. And they won't always work in the same way. They won't always have the same ideas. Be broad enough to accept and then realize that you're sort of steering them gradually in the direction of harmony. This is how Ananda has built that harmony. It didn't happen because we had we sort of gave people litmus tests to see if they were really harmonious before they'd come. We've accepted a lot of rebels. I remember somebody said to my guru one time, I'm sorry I'm so stubborn, Master. And the Master said, it's all right, I attract stubborn people. Well, I do too. I believe in letting people be themselves. And I'm a stubborn person. But I believe in being stubborn for the right. Not stubborn because you have a desire or stubborn because you want things to be like that. Learn to turn that stubbornness that you have, that strength of will, learn, it, learn to turn it toward greater harmony, greater um, accommodation of other people, respect other people as they are. This is all a part of yoga. Mind you, yoga is not just going off into the silence and chanting om, huru, vah, swaha, or um, doing the different mantras and breathing exercises and so on. No. Yoga should be practiced in daily life. Yoga should be something that we externalize so that we are being yogis when we cook, when we eat, when we talk, when we're being friendly, when we work. This is actually one of the wonderful, if not in some ways, well, I won't say the most, because certainly yoga, kriya yoga, meditation was more important, but what Yogananda came to bring to the world and to the West was to show how yoga can be put into action, not just something up in the Himalayas, not something you do when you go to your home after office hours and close the door and put on a clean dhoti and take a bath and then do your yoga, your Kriya Yoga breathing exercises and so on. All of that's very important. But what he taught us how to do was to actualize it in daily life. We need to learn to project outward into our lives that inner centeredness, that inner peace that devotion. Not wear it on your sleeve and say, look, I'm a devotee. Just be that. And you will see that people's lives will change. You know, I had a wonderful experience years ago. I was at a concert in Paris. And it was my birthday. And the doors were closed. But I I called out in French, it's c'est mon anniversaire, it's my birthday. And so the, the man there allowed me in, although the place was full. Well, the audience, the auditorium was completely full, so I had to sit behind the altar in this church where they were playing, and the music was so joyful, I just felt uplifted. Well, you know, I was on the metro, the underground, the subway, whatever you call it here, and uh, an old woman came to me and said, do you remember me? I said, well, I'm sorry, no, no, I don't. But I was in the audience. You know, there were 700 people in that audience. How could she think that I would know her? But she had such a feeling of close connection with me because she felt my joy. You find that when you feel that inwardly, you make friends everywhere. (coughs) She sat down and started telling me about troubles she was having in her family, just as if I was an old family friend you will see that the more you have in yourself, the more you can work with people. This is how Ananda has been built. It's a miracle. But it's a miracle of many hands. It's been built by many people, all believing in the same thing, working together, sometimes having ups, sometimes having downs. The wonderful thing about a community is that when some people are down, other people are up and they're lifting them. There's no judgment. There's no scolding, you should be this way. Everybody's there helping everybody, and what a wonderful way of life it is. I know 35 years have convinced me. God bless you.
1: Many hands make a miracle. Let's all join hands together. Life on earth is so wonderful. struggle as and all their dreams achieve their ends. Many hands they Join.